Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Best Hang Podcast featuring Max Kerman, Shane Cunningham, and I am Mike Bierman. Here's a secret you can pass it around. Here's a secret you can pass it around. My head in the clouds, hands and feet on the ground. Here's a secret you can pass it around. All right. Welcome to the Best Hang Pod. We got Max, we got Shane, I am Mike, and we got a great show today. Our featured guest is Elamine Abdul-Mahmoud. He will be on a little bit later in the show. We're very excited to get to him. Max, you've read his book, Son of Elsewhere, a memoir Mm -hmm. in pieces. Uh, We're going to talk to him. We're going to get into all that stuff. You got an advanced copy. That book's coming out. So I feel like you're sort of, Mm -hmm. you're ahead of Shane and I here as far as sort of uh, understanding who Elamine is. Uh, But we are very excited to talk to him. Uh, But there's so much stuff going on. Before we get to him and bring him on, uh, you know, there's stuff going on in the news. Uh, Max, you and Arkells, you guys got a new music video coming out with a very Mm -hmm. prominent comedy star. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is exciting. We're going to talk about that uh but before all that shane how's it going over there you're a little quiet well <laughs> what do you mean i'm quiet you're doing an intro mike i'm just gonna hop in the middle of it <laughs> shane here. well i feel like yeah. we're gonna do the. i feel like we're gonna do the next 10 minutes on our kells video so i wanted to throw to you before no, we got into this that this is correct yeah this is correct. Well, you know uh our kells video with will forte my idol Woo! it's probably the biggest best video you've ever done max just by casting alone, merely by having <laughs> Will Forte in it, this is your best video. And he's not just in it. This isn't a cameo where it's like, oh, is that Will Forte in the background? He's the star of the video. Yeah. So this Arkells uh, video, it's a brand new song. And we're almost bearing the lead to a degree because it's featuring Cold War Kids. And Cold War Kids uh, are one of our favorite bands. They were like kind of coming out just ahead of us when we first started the band. And I remember listening to their first album a lot, like in residence. And we followed them over the years. Their music continues to get better and better. And we played with them um, at the rally. We They were one of the bands that we invited up uh, to open up the show here. And then uh, we've also played with them at some festivals. We played with them at uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma with Phoenix. So... A big, it's a big deal that uh, Nathan from Cold War Kids is singing on this song. And uh, I don't want to tease too much about uh, the next Arkell's album, but there are some 
fun features uh, on the record. So we recorded the song with Nathan back in November. Uh, we're compiling these songs. We're figuring out like what's going to be the next thing. And uh, I want to say it's early February. We were down in LA to uh, celebrate Ash, who was on the Billboard Women in Music Award. And I was like, you know, I should try to do something kind of fun um, and festive. So I texted Matt Unsworth. I texted Tim McAuliffe. Matt Matt Unzi is is a beloved friend, uh, also a podcaster on Heist Podcast and a former colleague of yours. Uh, Tim McAuliffe, former pod guest, who's a comedy writer, and uh, a new friend, Will Forte, who I met through those guys. I said, hey, I'm going to be in LA. You guys are sort of the people that we know. Uh, Ash and I are in town. Uh, Wednesday's the big billboard night. What are you doing on Tuesday? Uh, maybe we all go for dinner or something. And uh, it was awesome. Um uh, Olivia, Will's wife, like, uh, she was in the group chat. She picked a restaurant. We all, uh, met somewhere kind of like in West Hollywood, felt very cool, very LA. It was just like a great vibe. And I was telling them at the dinner that we were planning to shoot this music video with Cold War kids on the Thursday. So keep in mind, Tuesday is the dinner. Two days later, Matt Unsworth is directing the Arkells Cold War Kids video. And it's just going to be Nathan and I in the video because there's like too many moving pieces to include all members of every band. I said, while we're down in LA, Nathan lives in LA. Let's try to just bang this, this video out. So as you will hear in the song, if you haven't heard it yet, there is a lyric about the Wallflowers and uh, their song One Headlight. Do you guys know One Headlight and the Wallflowers? Of course. Jacob Dylan, Bob Dylan's son. Shane, do you know this song? Uh, sing it for me. Come on, try a little. <laughs> Nothing is forever. There's got to be something better than in the middle. Me and Cinderella. Been all together, we can drive it home with one headlight. Oh, wait, I'm thinking Cheryl Crow. Who sings, if it makes you happy, why the hell is that Cheryl Crow? Okay, Cheryl Crow. <laughs> What's their big hit, though, The Wallflowers? Well, that's kind that's of their, it. That's that's the big one. The Wallflowers sing, if it makes you happy, why the hell are you so sad? No, no, that's Cheryl Crow. <laughs> oh, okay. The for one some Max reason, was just I thought singing, the hit one was headlight. All right. Yeah, I know their big hit. I know that one song that The Wallflowers have, yes. Anyway, so like on the Sunday night, of the week of the video, I was like, wouldn't it be cool if Jacob Dylan could make uh, an appearance in the video because we sort of mentioned him in the song and yet he probably lives in LA, right? Yeah. So uh, we reach out and we're like, hey, Jacob, we're, uh, we're filming this video like in 48 hours. Will you be in the video? And of course, it, we didn't hear back because we don't know Jacob Dylan and it's kind of a random email. <laughs> yeah, Such a max tough. thing to do. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> so at dinner, <laughs> I'm telling the story first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at, at dinner, I'm 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 telling the table that we're trying to get Jacob Dylan in the video, but no dice so far. And then Will goes, and then I make a I'm like, Will, you might have to make the cameo instead. And then Will goes, Yeah, okay, for sure. Yeah, let me know when it is. <laughs> so then I'm I'm kind of thinking myself, like, really? Is he serious? And then like 10 minutes later, he goes, Yes, yeah, so just let me know where you need me on Thursday. Lonzi's directing? Cool. I'd love to do it. <laughs> he didn't really ask any questions about That's what the song sounded like. He likes Cold War Kids. He didn't really ask like what he was supposed to do in, in the cameo. So then basically dinner ends and my mind is sort of racing at this point because I'm like, okay, this would be fucking hilarious if Will Forte is in the video. So I call Anzi, uh, Ash and I call Anzi immediately. I'm like, okay, well, you know, we were just going to have like Jacob Dylan sort of like flip the 
the keys from the like he'd be the valet guy or something because like we, we're entering this like bar and we're two lonely guys like wouldn't it be funny if we like flip the keys to matt's 1972 scout that i'll be driving around in the music video that's a cool old classic car for anyone who's on a car head and maybe jack jacob dylan you know is the valet driver or something and that was that was the idea but anyway so we're like fuck how do we write him into this so then we call uh we get a group text going and we call mike our very own mike veerman here and uh we're like mike all right i think will forte might be in the video what the <laughs> fuck do we do <laughs> and um yeah and so um we we worked on a couple concepts and we kind of landed on the idea of like will being sort of like the sage bartender who's sort of watching two lonely guys have a night out together singing karaoke pouring their hearts out and will really wants to join the action he wants to kind of be part of our friend group but he doesn't know the lyrics to the song so he's sort of like kind of <laughs> stuck he's in that zone where it's like he wants to be in it but he doesn't know the words and it's and he's it's waiting funny. to like jump in and then he's kind of mouthing them but he doesn't quite know them the way that <laughs> yeah. we all kind of do when everybody's singing a song like at a bar or something but yeah, yeah it was exactly. yeah it was it was really funny yeah, um, had, we had a few ideas. We had like we had the idea of him like delivering kegs to the bar. He kind of walks by. Like we were kind of throwing out a, a bunch of things. And it should be said that Shane was supposed to be in that that group brainstorm as well, mm-hmm. but he was on a, he was on a flight, I believe. So his, he wasn't there. That's right. To his you phone. were away mm-hmm. somewhere, right? Yeah. When I landed, I had sixty seven messages, and I thought, <laughs> oh no, something terrible has happened. And something terrible did happen. I missed the group chat where <laughs> I could have been involved in a Will Forte thing. So, yeah, I'm mad about it. And, you know, I'm jealous of Mike uh, for getting in there with the idea. But it's a hilarious video. So I'm also proud in my jealousy. I guess envy is the better word than jealousy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matt Unsworth, Ray Wong uh, helped co-direct it. And Anzi, uh, yeah. you know, did all the uh, the legwork in L.A. finding the location. We filmed it at the... Uh, the line hotel in Koreatown. And by the way, the other thing is like, will lives on the West side, right. Of town. And if you, if you've ever been to LA, like getting across town in rush hour is, is a nightmare. Asking anybody to do it is sort of a non-starter. So I was like, ah, yeah, we could really use you at like 4 PM on it's Thursday in Koreatown. That's like the equivalent of asking like somebody in Hamilton to be an Ajax at 4 30 p.m like it's like mm-hmm. just like why would you ever ask somebody to make that drive yeah. but will sort of did it and it like, <laughs> when i sent him the song and i was like okay just like here's the song give it a listen on the way over just so you're kind of familiar with it and will just get, gets there he's like so yeah what do you want me to do oh no i didn't get a chance to listen to the song <laughs> he, he really had literally no agenda other than to be helpful so we're like okay go stand over there and uh you know, we, we get on <laughs> with on and maybe another episode of the pod because he, he'd be able to tell it in a funny way but yeah he just started sort of improvising and doing his Will Forte thing. And it was just just a delight the whole time. It was actually kind of nice. At one point, Nathan from Cold War Kids comes out. We, we've been all been hanging out for like an hour. Um, and he's like, you know, I was just in the bathroom. And just like, you know, at the urinal, just thinking to myself, oh my God, my favorite movie of all time is Nebraska, uh, Alexander Payne. And you're, you're the star of that movie. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. <laughs> like, it was just like a funny, he just said that to Will. Will's like, oh, thanks. And he talked about that movie. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was awesome. So huge, huge shout out to um, to Will for, for being such a team player. And Nathan for making the song sound so good. And Matt Unsworth and Ray Wong. And also Mark Myers, who, uh, our, our longtime collaborator who edited the video and did a spectacular job. So um, 
yeah, that's that's the new Arkell song, and we're we're very pumped about it. I gotta say, it feels good to talk about this because I got like, there's probably been like four or five different podcasts where Shane will be like, "Hey, can we talk about the Will Forte thing?" And then you and Asher is like, "No, no, 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 no." So I feel like we've been sitting on this for a very long time, wanting to talk about it. And it would be good to get Unzi in and really sort of break down what it was like to direct Will Forte, but also like you, you're like you know, you and Unzi are close friends, so it's like mm-hmm. he's directing a buddy, but then he's also got this big comedy star on the set, and then also. So the singer of Cold War Kids, who's a star in his own right. And Max, had you spent much time with the singer of Cold War Kids? Yeah, before Nathan, that? Um, not, not a ton. He came by the studio in uh, November uh, when we were recording with the band and uh, we got to hang there. And we've, you know, texted a bit. We've played a couple shows together, but usually show days aren't like a time to really get to know each other. So we actually kind of got to know each other most on set actually that day. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was awesome. But yeah, it was totally like, you know, run and gun. Let's hope like the energy will, will take us where we need to go. Cause it was sort of that like, okay, we're in LA. Okay. Um, you know, all the details are coming fast and furious. We're, uh, filming on Thursday. It's like, we got to figure out a bunch of stuff. Okay. This new element has, you know, come in and, uh, but yeah, I was super happy with it, with the way it turned out and really happy with the song. Does Will ask to see a cut or does he not care? Uh, yeah, no, uh, we just sent it to him. He didn't ask, but we sent it to him and then he called me. He's like, love the video. Turned out awesome. <laughs> He's very, he called very, very you. kind of, yeah, yeah. I, I, I texted him about another thing and then he just called me back and we just chatted on the phone for like 10 minutes. It was great. Wow. Did you, were you with a group of people and were you able to say, sorry, I got to take this. It's Will Forte and then walk out of the room. <laughs> no, I think I was at the gym or something like that. No, yeah, but you still announced it at the gym. Sorry, everybody. I just have to leave the treadmill. It's Will Forte calling. Uh, good life fitness. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Who would you say you text, who are your bigger text buddies with Nathan from Cold War Kids or Will Forte at this point, after, you know, a couple mm. months after shooting? There's a few more logistics to go over with Nathan. You know, it's like you know, right. working on the song mix and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, but one day we'll get Will on the pod. I know that's a priority that we, that we need to get to. Yeah. So uh, that's exciting. Shane, did mm-hmm. you have any more questions about Will Forte? I mean, I feel like we've talked about this so much off mic over the last, like I f- what's exciting is for listeners and for our Kells fans, this is brand new. This is very exciting. But I feel like for all of us, we've been sort of, we've already gotten high off of this exciting sort of news. Well, you know, let's, 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 let's bring Unzi on like next week or something. Cause there's some, there is some funny stuff about the shoot that, that it would be funny to get Unzi's perspective on. Yeah. Okay. That's great. That. That's great. Uh, oh, I have to take this. I would not otherwise. Oh, have oh is that Will Forte? Is it it's Will? It's not Will yeah. Forte, but <laughs> yeah. I, I'll, okay. I'll, uh, I'll be All one right. second. Okay. We'll take a quick break. All right. We, uh, we do have Max back. Uh, and before we get to our guest, Elamine, uh, we should talk about our sponsor, guys, Blue Lobster. Mm-hmm. We wrote a commercial last week. Uh, uh, this week, what will we do? Who knows? But all I know is that we do love the Blue Lobster. Uh, they were so generous. They sent us a bunch of cool merch. They sent us drinks. I've, I've got a whole bunch of Blue Lobster uh, in the fridge. You know, you know, we all enjoy them. Uh, but what do we want to say about Blue Lobster today, guys? Do you think that people in uh, Atlanta, Canada are the most beloved people uh, in the country? Like yes. if you yeah. have to poll. I do. Absolutely. There's no competition, right? It's like, yeah. okay, we, we go through like, you know, the different, uh, you know, areas of Canada and, uh, you know, obviously in the North, there's like a lot of natural beauty, but um, you know I what it is? I think people on the East Coast are what, you know how we, like the world views Canada? Mm-hmm. It feels like the people on the East Coast are actually that in sort yeah. of my anecdotal evidence. We all think we're that. 
Right. Yeah. But I feel like the further east you get, the, you know, it's like, but the the people in the east are what I always imagine people imagine Canadians are like, which is like super friendly and kind and warm and jovial and sort of love a good time. Uh, anecdotally, that's been my experience with anybody that I've met from the east coast, friends that I've Do had that have come from there. Because they live near the ocean. Mm. Maybe. But how do we explain uh, the West Coast then? Yeah. How do we explain why everyone hates people from Vancouver? How do we explain that? <laughs> is that, is that mm. Do people hate people from Vancouver? I know Shane had a hard time out there. Uh, uh, you know, you you chased a man down on a bike. Yeah, I did. Yeah. This would be an interesting um, kind of commercial that we could write where we like, you know, all roads lead back uh, to Nova Scotia, you know, Ooh. and then and so like it opens in Vancouver and it's raining and you're just like having the worst day. And then you get to Alberta and you have no time for, you know, all those cowboys and stuff like that. You're like, get out of here. You know, you, you get, you get, you get to the Saskatchewan and Manitoba and you're like, this is kind of boring. You, you know, wow. you, drive, you could drive. No, this is, this is the, the, the this is the spot. In, this isn't I'm your stereotypes. I'm leaning into got stereotypes. Got you, got you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you get to Ontario. It's like the big city. Everyone's pushing you on the sidewalk. You get to Quebec and they're all, you know, they think they're better than you, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then you get to uh, Atlantic Canada. And what happens, Shane? It's still raining there, but they're happy. <laughs> and you're like, but they're happy. You're like, why are they happy? It's raining blue lobster. That's why. And they're just sticking their tongues out. And it's just raining and they're taking it all in. And they're doing like sea shanties. Like, you know how you picture them always doing that? And it's just, they're, they're all holding hands in a massive circle. The camera just keeps panning out. It's basically the entire province, just hand in hand, happy, yes. consuming blue lobster at any time. They, they have like a rainbow color blue lobster. So maybe like the rain is like, is very colorful, mm-hmm. right? And people are just sticking out their tongues. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone with their head turned toward the sky as they just sort of lap up the rain that comes down. There'd have to be some disclaimer though for the children that are drinking. <laughs> oh yes, right. Children. <laughs> yeah, there's no children. Well, I don't think this, this could actually happen. It's a surreal thing. So we don't need the yeah, disclaimer, yeah, yeah. but we could have a, what's, like the, a what's the tagline, Mike? Like get soaked. That could have been for our last ad too, but yeah. Blue lobster, make it rain. Make it rain. Blue lobster, make it rain. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's pretty there good. You go. There you All go. All right. That's pretty good. And speaking of blue lobster and having a good time, I feel like we're kind of burying the lead here, guys, but uh, one of our co-hosts, Shane Cunningham, has a birthday coming up. When this mm. podcast come out, I think that will be maybe Shane's birthday. So we won't really get a chance to celebrate yeah. it uh, post-birthday. So it's nice to get it in before. And Shane, I know sometimes you have some sensitivity when you're a kid. You know, your birthday was always around Mother's Day. So sometimes mm-hmm. kids wouldn't be there. We talked about this a few pods ago. I want you to know that we remembered your birthday and we're excited for your upcoming birthday. Well, the perfect thing happened. My daughter was born on the same day as me. So yes. now my birthday is so celebrated mm, because it's right. a double birthday with a little kid. So there's a huge party every year for Lucy. And then they're like, oh, yeah, Shane, we got you something, too. And everyone's, you know, it's actually way better than it's ever been in terms of birthday. But I have a question for Max. Mm-hmm. Ooh, do you know how old I am? I'd be very impressed if you get this. Uh, what year are we in? You're 39. Turning? Am I turning? You're tu- hold on, what year are we in? 22? You're turning 39. Good call. Elamine's here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's bring him in. Well, yeah, I know it. that because you're you're an 83. My sister's 83, so I can do the math. That's there. amazing. I, yeah. I'm always surprised at the things you know and don't know. 
<laughs> All right, he's here. So for our listeners, uh, our featured guest, like I said off the top, is Elamine Abdul Mahmoud. He is the host of CBC's weekly pop culture podcast, Pop Chat, co-host of CBC's political podcast, Party Lines, and a frequent culture commentator for CBC News. He's a culture writer for BuzzFeed News. Guys, he's got a brand new book coming out called Son of Elsewhere, a memoir in pieces. Max has read it. Guys, let's get to Elamine. Hey, Shane and I, born and raised, West Mountain. Listen, I don't know where West Mountain is. I just kind of like, (laughs) the mountain, and then I'm kind of like below the mountain. I don't know where the mountain, in relation to the mountain is. But she's like like Upper Wentworth and... Central Mountain. Central Mountain. Yeah, sure. What uh, high school did you go to? uh, Barton. Ooh. Barton? Yeah, I went to Barton Barton. for a few, uh, half a semester, yeah. Then what happened? Did they kick you out? They like, did. Why were you like, um, I really? Yeah, I was 18 and I was in like grade nine and 10 classes. And then I, I, I found it very difficult there. It was, they weren't nice to me at that school. And then I stopped going and then they kicked me out. Well, fuck Barton, man. Yeah. Let's fuck Barton. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm very like into just inheriting friends' beefs. You know what I mean? Like if you have a yes. beef with a place, like let's go. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> That's good. You'll fit right in. Um, 
Yeah, uh, Elmine, we I loved reading um, your book and very thankful that you sent me a, uh, an advanced copy of it. And, uh, you know, I feel like we're, we're kindred spirits. You have a very sort of like positive outlook. Uh, you're able to sort of like laugh at your own foibles. You're able to sort of, uh, you're a very, I think, forgiving, sort of compassionate person. Um, and I feel like that's like a theme in your writing style. Did you like identify that as sort of like an area, not to say that's your only, the only tone that you have or the only perspective, because that's, Mm -hmm. that would be selling yourself, that'd be selling you short. But did you sort of identify that early where you're like, oh, you know, this is sort of perspective I'm not hearing a lot of when it comes to, you know, writing on, uh, you know, whether it be pop culture or race or current events that you're like, mm-hmm. oh, you know what, like no one else is really doing that. And I do this naturally. And I want to lean into that a little bit more. Is that like a conscious thing? It's it's mostly just a disposition thing. Like I don't, I'm not very good at despair. I'm not very good at being grim. Um, I don't naturally turn towards those states of being like, they don't come easily to me. I know that like for a lot of writers, they do. And a lot of writers sort of spend um, pages and pages uh, with, with those feelings. Um, and it's not that they don't come to me at all. It's just that like I, when I'm naturally in that place, I kind of want to move towards the optimism, want to move towards like, okay, where's the hope in this? Like I'm trying to find some kind of light in all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tend to begin there and I really don't begin writing until I found that place. I don't, and I'm not one of those people who are like, I'm going to write my way to that place. Like I can't, I can't do that. Um, and so I like to sort of like sit with my thoughts and then figure out the hopeful place that I'd like to end up, um, and then kind of turn my compass in that direction and then see what we find along the way. But yeah, I don't, I, I as much as I would love to be one of those like dour writer types, cause I feel like that's like the, the cliche is like being, being a writer is like being a bit grim about the world. I'm like, I, I just don't do it very well. Like it's not mm-hmm. a good color on me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, one of my favorite writers is Michael Lewis and he, uh, he is not like that either, right? I think he's he'd yeah. be more on your side of the paradigm than, yeah. than the, the grim outlook. Um, one of my, uh, probably one of the most moving uh, passages or chapters of the book was um, the moment where your dad and you sort of reconnect and are able to, and he's able to kind of get over the fact that you have been <laughs> with your girlfriend. Was yeah. she your wife at that point? Uh, she was my, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she was with your wife. Been married he, for four years by that point. Four years, and yeah. he and he basically says to you like, "Hey, I'm sorry for being an asshole. Like that was, yeah. you know, like okay, this is, life's too short for that." Um, was was that a hard uh, chapter to write, or was that sort of like an exciting thing to write, or were you worried about the way you you were going to portray your parents at all in, in the writing of the book, especially when getting into those kinds of details? Yeah, like when I uh, when I started writing this book, I told my editor, "Look, there's two different versions of this book. One I can write while my parents are alive, and one I can write <laughs> after they die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and and they're both with us, you know. So like, I'm not. It, this is still going to be a book that is about caring about the ways it represented. Um, but you still get a chance to you know sort of spend a bit of time um, thinking about my own story and say, you know what? As much as I would like to make my parents look good in every moment, there have been some moments that have been really difficult for us, and so." 
so I think once I figured out that that story, where that story belongs in the book, everything else kind of fell into place because you're kind of building up to this moment of like, he gets that redemption arc. He gets it like, you know, 200 pages into the book. Like you got to wait um, before we get there. <laughs> but, uh, but but once I sort of like was like, th- that was comforting to me, like writing that part and knowing that that part is going to be in the book. Then I'm like, okay, now I can get into some of the stuff that really hurt me because I know that at the end of this arc, um, they will be that redemption moment. How was he being an asshole though? I, I haven't read the book. So was it he, he thought you should like sow your wild oats or what was the No, so like kind of the opposite. No, the very opposite. Like my dad so my my, my parents um uh, are both Muslim and they did not for the longest time they just didn't think that my relationship was okay. My mom got over that quickly, the fact that I am married to a white woman who's not Muslim. Uh, she got over it quicker than my dad, although her reactions were kind of more intense. He's kind of like peaked quickly um and then she was like okay now let's reconnect and figure this out my dad longer simmer took him took him a little bit of a longer period of time to come around it was about four years after we got married that he finally did oh wow and i should i should add note though that um you do throughout the book you know you set up your father as as an idol in some way, as a person who sacrificed so much for his family, who is beloved by the community, who makes friends with everybody really easily, who's a person to really look up to. But I think what's, what's beautiful about the book is that it just shows the complexity of anybody, which is like, you know, there's one part of a person um, where, you know, they're great and generous. And then there's that same person can also be stubborn and and difficult in, in, in other ways. Um, so, 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 so so it's not like you open the book and like, I've always had an issue with my dad. And then the next two hundred pages is like, he's an asshole. And then finally yeah, comes yeah. around. It was like, no, he really is. It sounds like an amazing person. Yeah. And, you know, based on his upbringing, you know, it was harder for him to get there, but he does, which is amazing. And this was a journey, right? Right. It's like part of the journey is taking my dad from being the sort of idol figure in my mind and in my heart to be like, you know what? I'd like to get to a place where he's more of a friend. Um, and that I think comes with different rights and responsibilities, right? It comes with a different sort of orientation towards that person. Um, because if you're thinking about them as an idol, then everything A hurts more, B, there are no boundaries whatsoever. Like every time that they do something that hurts you, you're like, this is the most wounding thing to me, and I will take a month to recover. Um, whereas like you can, with the help of a therapist, sort of put into place um a system of checks and balances and boundaries and say, I love you. I would like as much say, um, as, as much sort of good advice as you have for me, but also I'm happy to put that aside when it's not serving me. So mm-hmm. that's kind of been the journey. Okay. So you have an amazing glowing, uh, review from Brandy Carlisle, country music I star. Do. I do. Um, okay. I want to get into the marketing of this book. Okay. Who Let's is giving it. you glowing reviews? How is the press tour going? It comes out next week. It uh, what, what what are you learning about promoting the book? Because you know we have to promote albums all the time. Yeah. Uh, I know you're a big music fan. You you're, you've probably seen some similarities between promoting a movie versus a book versus an album. How's it going? Yeah. So far, so good. But also, like, I don't understand anything with this world. You know, like, when we were sort of formulating the list of, they they give you like a, they say, make a list of who the dream people who would give you blurbs would be. Um, Blurbs just to go in the cover, the front cover of the book or the back cover of the book. Um, And, you know, you make a list and he's got like ridiculous names. It's like, ah, Michelle Obama, why not? Let's go. Like, just (laughs) just put it on the list. Yeah. Um, But uh, one that I was really hopeful 
hopeful about was the one that you mentioned, the Brandy Carlisle one. And that's because, so we, I, I interviewed her last year, I wrote a profile of her um, for my day job, which is with BuzzFeed News. Um, and we had a really good relationship afterwards. And I was like, you know what? I just want to send you the book. Um, the book also opens with an epigraph that is a lyric from from her song, Most of All. And uh, I really wanted to sort of just make sure that she sees the book. I didn't really, you know, um, think that there would be a blurb from Brandy coming. Um, but then one came and it would sort of blew my mind and I took like two days to recover. So it was just like really, <laughs> really generous. Um, people have been great about this book, man. People have been really generous and kind and they want to sort of ferry it to the other side when it finally comes out. I don't know um, if this is normal, but for me, it's just been a really positive experience. But also there's like a real sense of um, <laughs> you just have to keep reminding people like, hey, uh, thank you so much for saying nice things about the book. You should pre-order it or you should tell your friends to pre-order it. Um, and I'm learning that pre-orders count towards your first week of sales. So as a result, like you want the sort of, you know, you want full steam ahead so that by the time your first week of sales comes out, um, it gets on some, you know, some algorithm notice it and says, you know, this book is hot. And then that way other books sellers notice it. And then before you know it, you're maybe on bestseller list. There's like a whole science to this. I understand maybe a quarter of it, but I have, you know, other people who just tell me what to do. And I'm very grateful for that. Uh, as a personality type with expectations, anyone that does, you know, work that they put out to be publicly consumed, do you, do you temper your expectations? Do you hope for the best? Do you expect, like, where's your, what's your general outlook? Are you like, I want to be, you know, New York Times bestseller, or are you like, I don't want to mm-hmm. dream that big. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Uh, I am, I think like I'm my most earnest, I'm like, I'm really hoping this book is successful. And yeah. I'm like, if I'm the sort of paying attention to my own feelings, I'm like, yeah, I would, I would like that. I, I'm not one of those people who's like success would be so difficult. Like that's not, that's not me. <laughs> um, but, but I will say like, I think usually outwardly, I'm like, I don't know. I usually make the joke that like, Hey, I hope you buy this book. You don't have to read it. Just buy it. Um, and <laughs> I, that'd, be, that'd be very kind of people to do. Um, but I'm also like, I think cognizant of the fact that everybody who buys a book to spend time with it, like that's a pretty generous thing, especially in a time when there's so much media to watch. Like if you guys watch Moonfall, this this new movie from Roland Emmerich, the moon falls on the earth. That's a crazy premise. You could be doing that instead of reading this book. Like all I'm saying is there are a lot of things pulling your attention. I understand, you know, people not spending time with the book. And so I have the highest of hopes, um, but also every once in a while I'm like, okay, let's temper those a little bit. I was talking to um, Tegan from Tegan and Sarah, and yeah. they're they're like the most sort of like ambitious, savvy, uh, sort of business people. Obviously, yeah. they're incredible songwriters and performers. Um, but she she they put out a book, and she said to me, she's like, oh, you know, because the book was included in like the ticket price for like when we went on tour, we were immediately on the New York Times bestseller list mm. because it was like because you know like if they go on tour in North America, you know they're moving twenty five thousand tickets like out the gate. And that's yeah. twenty five thousand mm. book sales. So what I'm saying yeah. to you, I mean, you got to go on tour. Oh, yes, I didn't know that. Make an album. Yeah, it's, it's the hack. It's that <laughs> right. write an album, and then you put yeah. it. Out, and, and then with the ticket, you get a book, and then you're, yeah. you're good to go. Should yeah. I also learn how to write songs? That'd you be good. Really <laughs> that wouldn't hurt. Yeah. yeah. Only if yeah. you knew this years ago when you wanted to be a writer that the trick yeah, was actually a, being a famous right. musician. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea. I'm learning. I'm learning new things. Did you yeah. need uh, your your leg pulled at all to? Uh, um, to write the book because you're a young person. You're what, 33 years old, 34? Yeah. Yeah. 34. Um, yeah. And, and so, and you're like a memoir, like, am I, what am I writing a memoir for? You know, it's like, I still got a lot of life to live. 
See, what's funny about that is like, that's the one thing that I knew I wanted to write. Like, and mm. I, I think there was a, there was a period of time um, where I knew that I wanted to write a book, but then I sort of like zoomed into the feeling and I was like, oh, this feeling is just, I want to have written a book. I don't want to actually write a book. Like this is, I know that's a very different thing. I just want the the applause and the acclaim of someone who has written a book. Um, and then I got to get past that ego mountain to sort of figure out, be like, okay, if you want to write a book, what would it actually be? Um, and on the day, literally the day, like literally the day that I settled on what the book is going to be, um, I got an email from the person who's now my editor. And he was like, hey, have you ever thought of writing a book? And I was mm. like, well, shit, literally today, I sort of settled on what the book is going to be. And I sort of knew that it was going to be a memoir that explores a bunch of these identities because the starting premise um, of the book initially when I pitched it was that um, I'm black, I'm immigrant, I'm Muslim. And yet those are three identities that growing, growing up in Kingston, Ontario, I sort of felt like I'm going to, I'm going to put these on the side a little bit. I'm going to put them on the back burner. I'm going to sort of identify the least with them. I'm going to only talk about listening to K-Rock 105.7. I'm going to do as much as possible to become basically every, um, white dad's favorite person in the room, you know? Um, and and then I sort of knew what this book was, was sort of returning to those identities and realizing that I owe them something. I sort of owe them um, an opportunity to explore why I felt the need to put them aside and what it means to kind of give them space now. So I'm very thankful to have that opportunity and also very thankful that the opportunity comes in book form. Because like when I started thinking about this, I was like, this can only be a book. This is not like three or four individual essays. It's like a whole sort of a, a thicker thing. All right, your book gets turned into a movie. Who who plays you? Who's the starring? We like to play this game. Who is the Shit. star of the movie? Uh, Craig Robinson. Nice. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you are someone younger though. Craig's too old. Is he? I don't. I don't, I honestly don't. That man is ageless to me. I look That's at him. Like, he, he, he could be thirty. He could be fifty. In Hot Tub Time Machine, <laughs> he sort of played like a thirty-year range. It was crazy. Yeah, so I don't know. <laughs> okay, so we have. Um, some topics that we kind of just unrelated uh, to uh, to the book. Um, but actually, you know, before we get to topics, I do want to ask you about your reporting at, at BuzzFeed. And Ooh, let's do it. Y- you had you you, you seem to take on, uh, you know, fun subject matter and or, or interesting <laughs> or quirky or left of center. Yeah. And uh, there's a piece that made the rounds. I don't know. You might call it your most viral piece about this surgery that men, that shorter men are are having, and yeah. and maybe hundreds of men a year are having this uh, surgery to yeah. get taller. Uh, do mm-hmm. you want to explain the premise, and then we can kind of get into how you reported it? I would love to. Uh, so basically, the premise is I went to I went to L.A. in March, and I talked to the surgeon who does the surgery, and the surgery involves breaking both of your femurs and then Ugh. inserting. Yeah, I listen. It's a graphic I the exact piece, same by the way. Sorry, I yeah. know. I know. There's like a there's a point in the piece where I describe the surgery in detail, and I took great relish just writing Ugh. that. Out. It was so <laughs> much fun. It was so much fun to do. But but by the by the end of the recovery, the men are three inches taller. Um, they could be up to five inches taller if they get both their femurs and their tibias done. So both above and below your knee, you can't do them at the same time because you wouldn't be able to walk. Um, the recovery takes a long time, takes about a year or so. And then I also talked to this kid, this 25 year old kid who had the surgery done in January. Um, when he met me in March, so a couple months in, he was about halfway through the lengthening process. He was five, seven, he'll be five, 10 by the time he's done. How old um, is he again? Scott is his name? Yeah, Scott's 25. He's 25 years old. 
Um, and, uh, he was the happiest he's ever been. He was like, look, man, all the stuff that I was worried about in terms of like people making fun of me at work, um, I don't have to worry about it anymore. That's that, that stuff is, that stuff is gone. Um, and he was in pain. He was not in as much pain as he was in before. Um, it's now four months out. He can drive, you know? Um, but that's about as much sort of movement as he's going to get. He's not going to be playing like tackle football anytime soon, but maybe in a year or so. How did you find this story? So the, the the surgeon has an Instagram page. It's called, it's just height lengthening. And if you go on his page, um, you will just see just like tens and tens of photos of the doctor who's 5'9", standing next to these men. And there's a before and after. And every time you look at the photo, you'll look at this guy and be like, there's no way this is the same person. But it is. Wow. Um, they, these, men are, <laughs> these men are going to Dr. Mabubian and getting getting taller. And also, I learned that there's like six or seven of these surgeons in the US, um, one in Baltimore, one in Nevada, one in New York. This guy's in LA. Um, and they almost like have like a little turf. They're like, look, I do this zone and you don't do this zone kind of thing. Um, but it was, it was really, it was a fascinating story. Um, particularly because I got to hear how these men were like, look, therapy is not going to help me. It's not going to help me with the abuse that I get for being this height. Uh, I tried to sort of push back on this idea. I was like, look, therapy can be really powerful. And they said, it's not going to stop the abuse. Um, is the abuse I, really that bad? The way he was describing the way his colleagues talked to him, it, it seems like you could file like a lawsuit or something. It's just because it's like, do, yeah. do short people really get it that bad? And maybe I, I'm immune to it because I'm, you know, don't. Yeah, I don't I'm see it that often. Like to me, it would be more of an unsaid yeah they're being neglected in some way or maybe women aren't yeah. going after them, but like, are they like called small fry or like, what's the big thing <laughs> that's happening small. in the office? I don't know. I'm trying to think of a negative name that you'd call yeah. someone. Well, so like he talked about, for example, you know, getting into a, a, a dispute with another colleague. And then the colleague was like, don't be so sure of yourself, short man. That was like the first thing that that um, yeah. colleague reached to, to be like, I'm going to throw this in your face. And he wow. sort of talked about how um, this happened all the time. Like it happened all the time for him he, to the point where he was waking up every day um, before work, um, two hours before his alarm and just walking around his neighborhood crying is what he said. Um, so he he felt it acutely. And also from like the dating perspective, like there's, I mean, there's like a little height point, you know, that you put into the dating apps. And like a lot of men are very insecure about putting, you know, like I, I heard from a lot of um, friends of mine who, for example, use hinges, like a lot of men lie about their height. A lot mm -hmm. of men say that they're six foot or six one um, when they're in fact not at all. I don't know. Have you guys ever thought about your height? Like I'm 5'11". I've literally never had to think about my height. I, I'm not tall. I'm not short. Nobody ever looks at me and goes like, oh, there goes a tall guy. Like I'm just like, oh, there goes a guy. Like there's no, there's my height is completely nondescript. I, have you ever thought about your height as a thing in your life? To, to well, your I, point. Oh, sorry. Go, Mike. Yeah. Well, as the resident like 5'7", five, 5'8", five, guy on this 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 current uh, conversation, I did, it's funny because reading your article made me think about it in a way that I haven't thought about it like in a mm -hmm. very long time. And like, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, I don't like, you know, the way you just described you feel at 5'11". I would say I feel the same way at 5'7", five, 5'8", five, whatever I am. I'd let's say 5'7". Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't think about it and I haven't for a long time. But there was a time when I was like probably from like 16 to like 20 where I was like nervous about where things were going to end up. Where I was like, am I short? Am I going to grow a little bit more? And my parents, my dad was like five five. My mom was like five, four, five, three. So I was like yeah. 
oh, am I good? And then once I was taller than them, and then I had like a pretty big personality. So it didn't seem like I didn't, I didn't hear the things that the guy in your article was describing, yeah. you know, like the sort of the constant little sort of like put downs and shots that he was taking and all that stuff. And, you know, yeah, I don't know. But my wife is like 5'10", so she's taller than me. Maybe that's yeah. me overcompensating. Maybe I do have some deep-seated thing <laughs> where I feel like I want to be bigger. I don't know. A lot of like the descriptions of the people who get the surgery on that Instagram page is like, this guy's 5'7", and his wife is 5'9", and he just wanted to be taller than his wife. He was very uncomfortable with how, you know, how much taller than him she was. Like, let's, you know, I, a lot of these men that I talked to describe um, the Disney prince and princess sort of height effect which is like it's always like this angle like the princess uh, is like this much taller than the princess you know like, yeah i was kind of like there's this angle happening um and for them it's a thing that they've really sort of internalized and like when i told the doctor that i've never had to think about my height he was like you have no idea how lucky you are um but also of course he obviously hears like the most acute versions of these stories i mean he also said that the tallest person that he's performed the surgery on was someone who's 511 what? um yeah but but the reason he did it is because because apparently this guy's like his dad was like six four, all his brothers were six three, his girlfriend was six one. So he, in his immediate context, felt like the shortest person, even though he like objectively was taller than average. Um, and so he did the surgery for him. But he's like, he said he's had to turn down a lot of guys who are like six one um, <laughs> because they're like, I just want to be six four. And he's like, get out of my office. Like that's a crazy thing to want. Yeah, I've had fantasies of being taller, like six three. I've, because sure. my, my dad's taller you? than me. It's, it's similar to the situation you described. It, yeah. Were you thinking about, were, were you having fantasies at all going through writing this article? Because I'm the type, if I see supersize me, at the end of it, I get very yeah. hungry for McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'm, I think I'm maybe the same way in the sense that, like, I never thought about my height before, but now after the story, it's all I'm looking around thinking about. Like, I'm not really thinking about it for myself so much. I'm just like looking at other people. I'm like, I wonder how you feel about your height. I wonder how you, you know? And mm -hmm. then, like, I keep trying to size up people like I'm like some kind of like bulldog or something. I'm like, oh, you must be about 6'1. Like, I'm not trying <laughs> to fight them. I'm just like, it's something I've just become much more aware of. <laughs> Did you have to um, twist any arms for your uh, from your editors at at BuzzFeed to get to get you down there for the story, or were they like, "This no. is a juicy story"? No, this was. I mean, we've been trying to get this story since probably like December or so um, when we first came across it. I was like, "Should we do this?" And they were like, "Yeah, I was like, let's go. Like, let's book it as quickly as possible." Yeah, they were pretty excited about this. I thought this story was going to do something like I don't know. I was like, I think it'll go pretty viral. It'll do like three hundred thousand views. It did not. It did 2.7 million in like a week. It was, it's been, it's been, yeah, it's been pretty wild. Like, is that your biggest story of all time? For sure. For sure. By like, by far. Also, the subject of your story was a very yeah. unique person. His, his yeah, reactions to, I mean, obviously the OnlyFans thing kind of was thrown in there and you're like, okay, he's making his, you know, living this way and it's how he paid yeah. for the surgery, but his parents aren't quite aware of how he came up the money. Uh, yeah. But then his reaction to things, you know, you described him walking around and crying and all of the, like the, these aggressions that he sort of had, his, his, the way he sort of perceived them and described them ends up becoming its own sort of journey just outside of the sort of general interest of the height thing, which is a lot more sort of, uh, I mean, I guess this is maybe the hallmark of a great piece, right? Right? is that you found this very unique person and then also it's this sort of universal thing that maybe people have either thought about or went oh that is fascinating yeah i think like his perspective to me is the thing that sort of carried the piece because there were there were sort of a couple of people that i was talking to who had the surgery um but his 
point of view of like he will open TikTok and see TikToks that are talking about height and for him like that wounds him that ruins his day yeah um to me like that's really compelling because I see that stuff on TikTok all the time I see that stuff on Instagram all the time but it's someone who's feeling that stuff acutely um on the OnlyFans things so, okay so the background is like he the surgery cost seventy five thousand dollars not including the recovery process afterwards and he came up with most of the money for that by starting an OnlyFans where he financially dominates other men um, and convinces them to send him money, which is an incredible career. I'm very happy for you, Scott. Um, <laughs> but it's like, it's not immediately obvious because like to do financial domination, you sort of have to be in a position where you think of yourself a little bit as a dominant in the world. And it, he's clearly feeling the opposite in terms of his height. So I just yeah. was really, you know, into that reversal. And I didn't know that going into um, interviewing him. Like we, I sat down and I was like, okay, we got to talk about the money. And I was just expecting him to say, my parents pay for the whole thing. And he was like, no, I started an OnlyFans to pay for this. Just the wildest revelation in the world. It's crazy. Right. All well, right. Should we uh, get to some topics? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do it. Uh, um, all right. I don't know if you, I mean, I don't know if you saw this story. Uh, Hurt Windsor man sues friends who left him out of one million dollar lotto. Have you have you seen this story? No, I have not. Okay, I'm gonna read it. A Windsor pizza delivery man has filed suit against his group of friends after being left out of their one million dollar lottery prize last June. Philip Sotso's. Uh, I'm going to get that name wrong. And a group of 16 friends won $1 million maximum prize on the Lotto Max ticket. He's now suing them for $70,000 plus interest, believing he's entitled to a slice of their winnings and accusing their friends of stealing his dreams. Their dreams came true. Why should they steal mine? He told CBC News. A lawyer of the 16 defendants claim that Sosos didn't contribute to the pool for the prize ticket. Therefore, they had no claim. Uh, he has no claim for a cut of the prize. So basically, he didn't pay into the ticket that week. And this is like a longstanding group lottery ticket. And the whole thing, I, you know, I just think about our group of friends, you know, uh, I mean, we just went on a 40th birthday party with 20 guys uh, down to Ellicottville, New York. And so I just think about our group of friends and, uh, you know, if, if there's anybody in our group that would say, let's cut them out or yeah, w w w like it feels like nobody I know would would want to cut somebody out of this thing, because as the article points out, if he was to be cut in, everybody else's earnings would go from sixty two thousand dollars to fifty eight thousand dollars. If you just got sixty two thousand dollars, like what difference does it make of fifty eight, sixty two? And the fact that they're trying to ruin the friendship make this whole thing that should be this like celebratory group moment and yeah. make it just so fucking weird and ugly feels like uh, a, a real, you know, just a missed opportunity for good times. Now it's just weird and uncomfortable. That is, yeah, that is a bummer. I have to say though, that my question is what's his, what's his track record in terms of contributing to this weekly group ticket? Because <laughs> if he's missing like one every once in a while, I'm like, that's fine, man. We'll cut you in. You're a, you're a part of our collective. But if this dude is like good for it, like, I don't know, only every once every other week or something, like that's a problem. Like he's not consistently contributing to the vibes here. So I, that, I guess like my question is I need more information. Like if he's been okay, so like, since, since the, the first time- <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. 
Okay, since the tickets worked on an opt-out basis, he often didn't pay for the tickets right away. However, he said he always paid back what he owed, sometimes owing up to $100. The group's organizer, Stephen Todesco, texted him around the time they won the Lotto Max, saying that he owed a tab of $30 plus another $10 to remain part of the group. Tasso said he uh, made plans to pay the $40 by Friday of the week and even jokingly said, uh, just take it out of our winnings when we win. In October, uh, he was devastated to find out via social media that his former colleagues had won the lottery and he was not in included. Why wouldn't they tell me they won? These guys are like family to me. It just hurts more than anything. So I guess there is some sort of precedent for not necessarily paying on time, mm-hmm. but paying back. But they did kind of snooker him into this, right? Like the, the he's like, hey, you're owe, you owe $40 this week. And then if he just paid it, he would have been a part of this winning. But they didn't tell him that they were like if he if he if he knew that they just won a million dollars, I'd be like, yeah, let me go get the forty bucks right now. Like it's gonna be great for everybody involved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that feels not fair. I have now switched teams to the side of the guy. Shane, yes, yes, Max. What do you think? It's tough. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I, I would like if, if I was the friend. You want my perspective? If I was the friend who was cut out, or if I was the friend who won. <laughs> go do you for have it. a team do you have like a do you have like a this guy's in the right or like, i would oh he's i'm more likely to be the friend who's cut out but <laughs> so you identify with i him. wouldn't i wouldn't ask for the money i don't think i'd be you too, wouldn't no behind the Are scenes though i'd be very would. bitter i'd be very bitter i've been but in a you, situation you like this in. before too as mike knows our, our yes. there was one what week was the I situation our work did a weekly lottery thing and one week I, I contributed every week, except the one week that I come into work and everyone's hopping around at their desks, excited at the fact that they won. And my other friend, Mark Myers, also contributed sometimes and sometimes he didn't. And I called him knowing he didn't contribute that week. I'm like, Mark, they won this week. They're all celebrating. <laughs> what do we do? He's like, oh, oh, well, you win some, you lose some, whatever. Like, <laughs> And he was very cool and calmed me down. It turned out. The, they looked at the numbers slightly wrong and the amount they won was only a hundred dollars, but they had thought they won <laughs> over a hundred thousand. Oh, wow. But I went through every emotion in the book, like anger, <laughs> jealousy, like I wanted to like cut these people out of my life. Like I didn't know what to do. And then I, <laughs> I ended on who cares? It's only money. And I think that's what I would ultimately do after a, a day of thinking of it. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was having a big a conversation with our friend peak. Who's part of our, this friend group that Max is describing about the situation. And I, I was like, okay, if I'm the guy that misses and I get cut out, mm-hmm. I'm too proud to like, to sue or like, I'd be so embarrassed that I'd just be like, I got to eat this. Like I just, I missed out and this is embarrassing and I'm hurt and I, I eat it. I, I internalize yeah. it. If I'm part of the group, you know, and one of our buds missed out, say Shane missed out. I 100% vote to cut him in. I'll, I'll always yeah. vote on the side of yeah. like good vibes. I'm like, who cares? Let's vote. Like I'd rather this person, I think it's better for our life and everybody's lives. And like, let's cut him in. This is our friend. But then my, our buddy peak was like, he started naming specific people. He's like, well, what about this person? And I'm like, everyone gets cut in peak. He's like, ah, what about this person? He's not really super close. Okay. Now it gets interesting because uh, I think you nailed it, Mike. I think that's most of us what we do. But here's the thing. So I, I originally would say uh, the group's organizer, Stephen Tedesco, bad leadership. Because I think if you have good leadership, <laughs> you have the guy who's sort of like the top dog in the group, you go, listen, we, we got to cut and peak. It doesn't, you know, the guys enough. I know it's a little weird, but what's 62,000 or 58,000? Who gives a shit? Yeah. Everyone's yeah. in. Where it gets interesting is what if 
um, Mr. Pizza Man, Philip Totsos, what if he's like a tertiary member of the group? What if he's the guy yeah. on the group who's like not around very often? He, he's sort of like the last person to be invited. He's like a very tertiary member. Like, yeah. you know, what if, um, you know, using our, our own group, like uh, Craig. So Craig, uh, who we love, wow. who's, who's the best Craig. guy. No, no. <laughs> but Craig, Craig's not a Hamilton guy. Craig, uh, you know, Craig lives in Pickering, Okay. And he, you know, we see him once every two years right? yeah. and, and we love Craig. And yeah. if he was sort of like loosely involved in this thing and sort of showed up, that that makes the question a little bit harder. And I if think. we do like let Craig in, then there's the tertiary guy to Craig. It's like they let Craig right. in. Then why didn't they let me in? I'm like, <laughs> where does it end? Where does it end? Yeah. Where does it end? I think he's learning. This guy is learning that he just was not like a core member of the group. Like yeah. That's <laughs> because certainly I'm sure that there was somebody else who didn't pay that week. If this group was so loose that some weeks people were like owing thirty or forty dollars for a bunch of weeks, I'm sure he's not the only person who is owing for a bunch of weeks. I'm sure those people got paid out, but not this dude. And I and I'm I'm feeling for him, but also I'm like, my guy, you got to go find your new friends, man. Like these are not your people. You got to find your people. Definitely after suing them, he has to find new friends, I think. Yeah. <laughs> like like you said, I think it's probably the, the hurt of not being as close as he thought he was, more so than the money. But yeah. the money hurts too, you know. Yeah, I buy that. And don't think that I didn't hear their little pun when it was like they didn't give him a slice of the uh, winnings uh, uh, pizza in that pun? article you're reading, Max. Yeah, he's a pizza guy. Nice. Mm. All right. Do anything else, or uh, uh, Shane? Did you have anything you wanted to to bring to the group here? Sure. Yeah. Let's talk about Pete Davidson and tattoos. And as you can see, I'm covered in a bunch <laughs> of stupid tattoos all over my body. I've got kids' names, everything. Now, not Pete, his kids, just random kids. Yeah, just random <laughs> children's names. What would I assume would yeah. be a kid's name? And um, Pete Davidson <laughs> recently got Kanye West's children's name on his i believe his neck oh. or somewhere on his body and i was wondering how you would feel if someone did that to you would that be cool or uncool like my stepfather did that y- y- well you let's say let's say you got a divorce and your uh-huh. wife connects with someone else and you have children mm-hmm. and then yeah. the person the wife so this situation that we're talking about so not yes. just any person okay okay yeah. yeah but i'm applying it to to you guys like how would yeah. you feel about that for me I think I'd be oddly cool with it. Mm. Why? Well, because I would want, if my wife is with someone else, my children are going to be around another male figure. Like he's got to really love the kids, right? To put, mm-hmm. to, to get tattoo. a tattoo. And I want yeah. the kids to be around like a man who actually loves them. It depends on, on, on the situation. Because if it's a guy who like looks like you and has lots of tattoos and is always just the kind of, Oh, whatever, like things that he cares about or is passionate about. And, and, you know, even if it's a passing trend, it doesn't matter. He, he treats his body very casually when it comes to tattoos, then that's one thing. If it's a guy who you think is antagonizing you, if you're like ex's new husband, like if you think he's fucking with you and he has no tattoos on his body and then just gets the name. I'd be so flattered. I'd be like, I'm so in this guy's head. And I named, I named those kids. I named those kids, man. And I like ruined your body. 
<laughs> it's a win-win. <laughs> well, it's, it's also extra fucked up because like Pete Davidson is going through the process of covering up a bunch of tattoos. Like yeah. he's trying to get as many of them covered up as possible, but now he's mm. adding to them, but he's adding these. And I think that's particularly interesting, you know, but like the idea that he, him and Kanye have had this beef for however long they've had it. And now he's going to have Kanye's children's names tattooed on him. That feels weird to me. I don't like mm-hmm. that particular one feels weird to me. Like, I think the, the, the premise you're describing sounds lovely. Like, oh my God, somebody new in my children's lives who's going to take care of them. I loves them so much that he feels compelled to get his, their names tattooed on him. That sounds amazing. Pete Davidson getting uh, Kanye's kids' names tattooed on him. That feels like, I was like at least 30% mind fuck. I don't know what percentage, <laughs> but like 30% feels like the right amount to allot it. That's a lot, man. I don't know. Yeah. I no, I agree in that situation. It it does seem kind of yeah. wild. But yours, if you were in that scenario, would you be able to accept it? I there's nothing in my life that is that high stakes. I'd be like, yeah, cool, man. So, <laughs> fucking go for it. Why not? Like, I don't. I would. I do not get that worked up about these things. So I'd be like, sure. Crazy move, but live your life. <laughs> Especially if they got like my last name tattooed on them because it's like 14 letters. Yeah. Like, Abdul Mahmoud, like, bro, you're really committing to the bit, but let's do it. Yeah. But, but what if he then was fucking with you and spelled it wrong on purpose? <laughs> oh, that would be bad. Well, yes. then, then it's war. Then it's war. Then, yeah, like, that's then, disrespectful. Yeah, then we're yeah. fighting. Yeah. Can you disrespect my family's right. name? I want to know, Mike, can you handle it? Could I handle it? Yeah. Uh, if someone got your kids names tattooed on them yeah definitely i'd be all right with that uh no yeah i don't know i again like i think that i would be like this is bizarre what is going on uh is like mostly i'm just like is this person that is like got a hand now in raising my kids are they are they stable like are they uh, yeah like i you know I'm, i'm not uh I'd have to assess it. You know what I mean? It's either it's either interesting and bizarre or like uh, a warning sign and dangerous. And I, I won't know until I meet this person that my wife is now okay. shacking up with. Only time okay, will tell. One more thing. Yeah. What if uh, what if I'm not with your wife Danica, but I decide to get Winnie and Roberto tattooed on my body? Anyway? <laughs> Uncle Max, Uncle Max move. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. No, yeah. It'd be, I'd be worried about you because Maybe I know I'm, you, manifest destiny. Yeah. My, oh, you're a, trying to slide in there. I'm trying to. Yes. <laughs> oh. Yeah. If you can see it, you can be it. Yeah. Wow. Didn't didn't think of this as sort of projecting a wish into the future, but that's, uh, that's quite a move. He's just openly telling me he wants like, my. Yeah, inspirations yeah. on their body in tattoo form, you know? Yeah, it's like, like a vision board, but on your yeah. chest. <laughs> Winnie. Yeah. Roberta. Roberta. Yeah. Danica, right on your bicep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then it has a mic with like a cross through it. Yeah. <laughs> like a, like a no smoking thing. <laughs> like, okay, we got to wrap this up. We got to right. Yes, thank you so much for your time. Very much appreciated. Uh, and everybody, check out the book. We're, we'll do the, the hard selling. Let's get you on that New York Times bestsellers list. Oh my God. All right. Thank you so much for having me, y'all. This has been a blast. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks, right. I mean, Cheers. All right. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.